0: This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition with exclusive articles from Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn. The Jesus Bible lifts Jesus up as the lead story of the Bible. It is available as a full study Bible, as well as available as individual Bible journals. Find out more at www.thejesusbible.com.
1: Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ centered and clear Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast.
0: Welcome to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast, where we have conversations about Christ and all the scriptures for every church. And in this episode, we continue our series of Judges. Have with me again, my brother, John Aiken, Matt Caps, pastor at Fairview Church in Apex, and also Jeff Hay, pastor at Bally Cullen Community Church in Dublin, Ireland. Brothers, thanks for being on the podcast.
2: Good to be here. Good to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, today we're going to try to cover chapters one and two, kind of the the opening of the book of uh, Judges, and kind of how we've done with Jonah and Daniel. Uh, Just want to start with kind of three sections we'll go through in the in the uh, episode. We'll go through an overview of the chapter, any textual issues there, and then Christ centered connection, and then finally application. And so, Matt, start with you in chapter one. Just kind of think somebody's in the car driving. Give a two to three minute summary of of what's happening in Judges chapter one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you can summarize chapter one and actually the very beginning of chapter two, where God says, I brought you out of Egypt to the land. Um, You know, I'll never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You're to tear down their altars, but you disobeyed me. That word, Mm. you disobeyed me is key. So you go back into chapter one and you see this list of tribes from verses 17 through 33 who did not drive out um, the pagan nations, right? So there's this idea here that God's people have not been completely obedient to his command to drive out the other nations. um, And those people remain a source of corruption within Israel. And uh, the old Testament makes it very clear, especially with the Canaanites that how corrupt they were uh, child sacrifices, their gods, cultic prostitution, um, others, other practices that were a source of of this right for judgment. So this command to Israel um, to drive out, the other people was to remain, they were to remain pure and uh, to to follow the exact commands of God as a theocracy. And they were be the the agency of God's judgment on these pagan nations. And uh, they, they just failed to do that. So that's really chapter one sets up the, I think the entire trajectory of the book. Jeff, anything you would
0: add to the summary there? I know we played your sermon from uh, judges one last week on the, on the podcast, but anything or two weeks ago, what, anything you would add? as far as summary or textual issues?
1: No, just uh, interesting to see the downward spiral from the, the tribes that uh, s- seemed to be a little bit better to start Judah, although I think he was compromising in some ways. But then as it went down, they they basically compromised more and more and more so that the Canaanites are allowed to live amongst the Israelites to the Israelites then, or say they've just, be allowed to live amongst the canaanites and then finally the last p- tribe the israelites aren't even a- are allowed to live at a distance from the canaanites they're not even in the land so it's just they've compromised they haven't done what god has said and it spirals down worse as the chapter mm. progresses mm.
3: john anything you'd add there on chapter one yeah just in terms of the way i was uh thinking about this because the, the the key issue is obviously not completing the conquest and mm-hmm. um the, the illustration I use, and this is maybe a dated illustration now because there's been a, a sequel. Everything Hollywood tries to go back and ruin everything. But um, <laughs> when we were, this we, another
1: one of your movie illustrations, John. Here it comes.
3: Uh, the uh, the uh, the movie Independence Day. You know, it came out in the late '90s. Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, and you have this alien race, right? That's that's uh, come superior, vastly superior, better weapons, better technology. Uh, they come to wipe out. The human race and the, they figure out, okay, if you take down the mothership, then the shield goes down and you can, you can take out all the little ships. And so they, they win, they, they, they deal this like backbreaking blow to the aliens by taking down all the motherships uh, and everything. But then there's all these other little ships. They're still going to have to like wage the war and, and, and defeat all those little ones and the movie just ends, you know, before, before you do that. And that's, that's basically Joshua. <laughs> and then you start judges and it's like, they, they've gone into the land. They've, they've, they've taken out, you know, Jericho, they've taken out the major, the major areas. They've, they God has allotted to them, the land. Now Joshua gives them these instructions on how to complete the conquest. Here's what you're supposed to do. And, um and they don't, and they don't follow through with it. And so that's what ends up causing all the, the, um, the chaos and, the, and, and behind this are, I mean, there are commands that God had given his people about the conquest all the way back. Like Exodus 23 is a, is a key text here in the background where, where he basically says, look, if you're, you're not just, it's not just a, um, it's not just like the British, you know, running off the Native Americans and taking their land. That's not, that's not what's happening in uh, the conquest. He's telling them you're to rid the land of idolatry. You're to, you're to, you're to tear down their altars. You're to tear, tear down their shrines. And then we see, we get here and we see that they're not, they're not doing that, right? They're not, um, they had the, they had the power to, you see, you see multiple places where they had the power to do that. And the reason you know that is because they, they, they forced them into servitude, but instead of, instead of just completely driving them out, they forced them into servitude or uh, you know, there's this, this thing where there's this complaint about iron chariots. Well, God had already told the people all the way back in Joshua, I think 17, that like Joshua told the people, I don't care that there's iron chariots. God's going to give you the victory here. Mm. And yet they still shrink back. And then you have um, in verse 33, these, this place where Naphtali doesn't drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth uh, Anath. And those are, those are cult cities. Those are, those are shrines. This is the house of the sun, God, the house of the goddess Anath. And they're not, um, they're not driving them out and they're not destroying the altars. And so uh, because of that, they failed to do what guys called them to do. And as Matt said, this is going to set up all of the, the trajectory of what's happening in the rest of the book.
0: Good stuff. Um, Jeff, come to you or John, let's do summary of chapter two first before we move to Christ Connections. Uh, so John or Jeff, who wants to jump in first?
3: uh i can i can go ahead and and start so um coming after um what matt talked about was uh ver- chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 then you have uh in chapter 2 verses 6 uh, and following kind of the the death of uh joshua and then it sets up the unfaithfulness of um of israel and and 211 uh through 23 is really through the end of the chapter is really setting up um what's going to happen in the book. And it gives us what's more important than, than even just the summary of what is happening is it's giving us the interpretive key to the book. In my Mm -hmm. opinion, he's explaining to us what's going to happen. And what happens Mm -hmm. is um, he says, there's going to be this, this cycle that goes on uh, where the people sin, they fall into idolatry. And then God judges them for that sin by handing them over uh, to a foreign power. And again, this goes back to, as, as I was talking about Exodus 23, when God told them to destroy idolatry in the land, he said, because if you don't, there these people and they, their gods are going to become a snare to you. And then you're going to be forced to serve foreign gods. Uh, and that's exactly what we see happening. Idolatry leads to serving foreign gods. So there's a cycle It starts with sin and then judgment where they're handed over to an enemy. And then there's repentance where they cry out to the Lord, uh, and then there's salvation. The Lord raises up a judge who rescues the people. The people are faithful as long as the judge is alive. He dies, and then the, the cycle repeats itself. And so it's like what he's telling us is there's basically going to be many exoduses like they're happening throughout the story, where the people are subjugated to a foreign power. They cry, cry out to God. Their cries come before God. He raises up a Savior who rescues them. They're free. And then they start the cycle uh, all over again. And, um, you know, that that's the that's the basic uh, summary of and uh, the cycle of what's happening in chapter two. And and as both guys have mentioned so far, the cycle also you can see you can see you can see as a cycle. It's also a spiral that it gets it gets worse and worse. And so when you Mm -hmm. think about using the cycle as as key to interpreting the book, there are going to be times and sections where pieces of the cycle are missing. And that's Mm. uh, key to interpretation as well. Gotcha. Jeff, anything you'd add there as far as summary
0: of of chapter two?
1: Well, maybe just to chip in when they cry out. It mightn't be always a cry of repentance, just a groaning, which highlights God's grace all the, the more that he raises up a judge, a deliverer. But yeah, it is so crucial to remember that this is the key for the whole book. Uh, Because whenever you get into the judges later, Mm. they don't always go in uh, uh, and recount uh, that God has raised up this wonderful, this judge to do this mighty act. And you could just get lost in the story. And that might miss out in that interpretive uh, important chapter. But also that this section starts again with the the death of Joshua. And we had that at the beginning of chapter one. Mm. Uh, And so I think that's highlighting, okay, the leader's gone, and then a tragic verse is verse 10, after that whole generation gone, uh, then another generation that grew up neither knew the Lord nor what he had done mm. for Israel. Mm. And now we're going to see, this, this chapter is so God-centered, mm. uh, uh, and it's all about the Lord, repeated so many times, I think it's mentioned, over 20 odd times uh, just mm. so that, that helps to show who's the hero of the whole mm. book really
2: i think that's uh, verse 10 and 11 in my mind at least when i was preaching it are like the heart of the the whole thing because if you think about we've already talked about how we moved from moses to joshua down to judges uh verse 10 they they for you know, this whole generation raises up and they they forget the works of the lord and then the rapid transition to verse 11 now they're worshiping other gods Mm -hmm, And uh, mm -hmm. I think that's such a powerful preaching point. I mean, the Old Testament, one of the most common commands I see in the Old Testament is to remember. And Mm -hmm. that is so important for just future obedience. And and we see it right here in the transition from verse 10 to 11, which I think is something that any preacher should highlight.
0: It's good. Before we go to Christ's connections, um, anything in the text chapters one or two that are debated by scholars, things y'all might disagree with scholars on, anything in that kind of area before we jump to uh, christ Center connection?
3: Let's see, I see a lot of shaking a head. No, anybody? <laughs> I'll delay. I'm
0: I'm ready for it.
1: Oh, well, um, in chapter one, some people think Judah was a success story. He did. <laughs> that tribe was great the whole way down because it won many battles uh, and then the disobedience was just the later ones but I think there's hints that he was already compromising and he was told to go up and rid the land Judah but he brings Simeon with him maybe showing a lack of trust in God's promise already and then hmm. he, he so but some people think success of Judah unsuccessful the rest of them whereas yeah. I go no but
3: compromising Unsuccessful. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. There is, there's one, this is the end um, of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three. That's a, that's a question it is uh, there's some people who kind of question, is there a contradiction in uh, the Lord kind of being angry at them when, when it, when this cycle's being laid out at the end of chapter two and how they're becoming more corrupt than their fathers and 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 so on. And so it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because the, this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. And then verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the. The generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. So which, which is it? Are they, are, they, are they compromising and that's why he's not driving them out? Or is it because he wants to teach the new generation's war? And so some people have asked, is that a, um, some scholars ask, is that a contradiction? And I don't, I don't think so. I think the way you resolve that is that, that um, all, all of the Israelite wars that were won were won, were won by miracle, not by might. It was about God giving the people in their hands, so it's not you know that both learning to not compromise with the culture and uh, trusting the Lord to go to war against them go hand in hand with testing their faithfulness to the lord mm-hmm. um, and so that that is a question that is raised by some people in the introduction
0: Good, Matt, uh, come to you chapter one. How did you point to christ
2: um so when i when I preach I, the, this the sermon I, I covered really chapter one through three, six. And so one of the main ways I um, kind of pointed to Christ was you have the failure of the tribes to completely be obedient to God's word. In chapter two, you have this idea that, you know, that God would raise up a judge to serve to to save the people from the power of their enemies. And while he was still alive, that would some ways be effective. But as soon as they died, you know, people kind of went on. And it says in verse 20, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. This is chapter two. Um, and I, so one of the ways I did this was at the end of the sermon talked about how, you know, when you're a husband and you see someone flirting with your wife, you have this jealous anger that burns. And, and that's a good sign. And 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 the pursuit of that, that anger that then uh, produces a pursuit for the wife that is just and right because uh, you're married. And I think what you see in Scripture, I think, here in Judges, is God is pursuing his people. They are unfaithful. They are failing in many ways, but he is pursuing his people with a judge. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the judges, as we'll see, as the, the cycle goes on, they can't they can't bring that perfect righteousness. They can't bring that perfect rule. And so God sends a judge, a righteous king, even a faithful husband who can actually finally deliver the people. Uh, and save them. And so that's kind of how I ended that sermon. Uh, yeah.
0: That's good. Ch- guys, uh, John, Jeff, anything from chapter one or two as far as how you point to Christ? Jeff, I'll come to you first. Um,
1: uh, yeah, I had it, uh, yeah. Well, I did um, two separate sermons. So chapter one, uh, you can point to Christ actually, even I think from verse one and two, where after Joshua's died, God appointed Judah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from Judah is the one, and then it would come from David and we'd go ultimately to Christ. But I went at the end of chapter or that section, chapter two, verses one to five, with the angel of the Lord appearing and bringing the the message, the conclusion, uh, you know, that I've rescued you. You were disobedient in doing this. But it's interesting that this angel of the Lord comes up from a place called Gilgal. And, and why mm. why would you bother mentioning that again? Place names and uh, are sometimes important. <laughs> Uh, in the book of Judges. And Gilgal was the place in Joshua 5 where they celebrated the Passover. They remembered the rescue. Uh, They made a covenant with God. This is a place where God is reminding them of their rescue from Egypt, Mm -hmm. uh, where they've been rescued. Uh, And here the angel of the Lord comes from Gilgal and he reminds them uh, of their rescue. And ultimately, I think then you can go, that's mentioned because this is pointing to, we need to remember the rescue. Uh, We need to remember the rescue from Christ uh, to be able to wholeheartedly obey, which they didn't do. Uh, And ultimately, it was Jesus uh, who uh, laid down his life. And while they were to wipe out others, uh, and they deserve to be wiped out, Christ was wiped out. On the cross, in our place, mm. took the judgment that we deserve instead of us, and and so I went to Christ through the angel of the Lord, bringing and reminding them of their rescue, if they were just supposed to obey, and we have the same.
0: That's good. Was the title of your sermon from Gilgal to Golgotha? <laughs> no, but that would have been
1: it. That would have been a good one. Did you just come up with that now? <laughs> I just thought about it. Yeah,
0: pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I preach, that's what I'll call it. So, yeah. John, John, what about from you? Uh, how do you so, point to Christ so in these? One
3: thing that's interesting though, it, it, they see it, this book in textually is that the angel of the Lord is the one who appears to them right before they go into the land to take Jericho, and then now he's the one who's appearing to indict them for their failure to finish it. So it's kind of like their their commanding officer has hmm. sent them out, and then now it, here's the evaluation, and um so that's good stuff. So I, I would say there's two there's two ways. And and one's just kind of the main way that the introduction is setting up uh judges and so here's a, here's how I did it uh and Jeff will enjoy this another movie illustration um <laughs> there's a, you know the, you get time to watch all these movies <laughs> <I didn't know. laughs> flying, flying back and forth to uh, she, to you, to Ireland and places like
1: that on mission trips you kind of did a sermon prep i suppose by the sounds of it i don't
3: <laughs> this sounds good uh, i'm not i'm not as uh I'm not as spiritual as you are, brother. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the movie, the movie Taken, uh, which is a pretty disturbing movie, right? Where this, this, this teenage or college age girl goes to parent to Paris without her parents uh and against her dad's better judgment. And then is, her and her friend are abducted by this, you know, group that traffics women. And her dad is, is this, you know, ex CIA guy who's really good at killing bad guys. And so he, he hunts her, you know, he hunts down her captors and, 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 you know, Tries to rescue her, and I mean, and basically through like the movie, right, he's like, you know, getting shot and sleepless nights and all this pain and everything that he goes through uh, to save his to save his, you know, little girl, and um, and so I just, I just kind of I just kind of point to like one, so I use that to set up. I mean, the the girl is in captivity. Uh, one, because kind, of, kind of because of her foolishness, she she didn't she didn't listen to her uh, her dad, and she didn't listen to his better judgment, and so she's she's now in this place. But despite her waywardness and and despite some of the poor decisions she's made, now she's suffering all these things, and her dad, you know, tries to move heaven and earth, uh, and and he and he rescues her, and he can take. It's like he can take on, you know, he's like this Rambo like figure. He can take on entire armies and so forth. And um, I mean, that really is pointing us to, uh, as I point out, that that's pointing us to Christ in terms of Jesus' ministry in the New Testament is him rescuing his people from captivity, reversing the exile, destroying their enemies, um, and bringing them back home. Um, and that's the little story that's told repeatedly in Judges, that God repeatedly sends As chapter two talks about little Joshua's like, that's the word that's being used there um, that he talks about saving his people. He saved them from the hands of their enemies, chapter two, verse 18. Um, And so these are little Joshua's little saviors that he's raising up who go to war against the enemies of God's people uh, and rescues uh, his wayward people. And then, so you're going to see that uh, throughout, throughout the book, um, these little, these little saviors that God is raising up and that he's, uh, anointing with the spirit. And then and by the end of the book, it's kind of, kind of the, you know, he's going to use, uh, armies and then he's going to use smaller armies. And then by the end of the book, it's just one guy, um, that's been anointed by the spirit that he's using. And, um, and so that, that points us to Jesus. And then we get a glimpse of that, um, in chapter one with Othniel, that's going to come back up again. But, You have this, you have this picture in chapter one, this kind of really, really short love story where Othniel goes out, defeats an enemy to win a, to win a bride. And, um, uh, and again, that's, that's the story, you know, that's the story of Jesus, right? That um, I remember, and I I don't remember I've ever mentioned this before on this podcast, but GK Chesterton said there's better theology in fairy tales than in, in many theology books. And uh, one of the places that uh, Peter, Light, I remember reading that quote in Peter Lighthart's book called The Kingdom and Power about the church. And he references um, Sleeping Beauty where, you know, the, the prince is cutting through the thorns and takes on the dragon and defeats the dragon to rescue his bride and to wake her uh, from the, to, to free her from the curse. And so that's, so you see, again, glimpses of that here in Judges that points to uh, what Christ is going to do for us.
0: this podcast is generously supported by the jesus bible niv edition Zonervan bibles has partnered with the passion movement to bring you an accessible study bible with features designed to help you meet jesus throughout the scripture with over one thousand articles and essays written by contributors like louis giglio john piper and randy alcorn this study bible is written so that you may know him more intimately love him more passionately and walk with him more faithfully the full jesus bible has been changing lives since 2017 And now select books of the Jesus Bible are available as individual Bible journals. The handy size and ample space for taking notes make these Bible journals an ideal one for group study or personal devotions. Chronicle your own journey of faith as you discover Jesus as the lead story of the Bible in five Old Testament books and nine New Testament books. There was never a moment before him. There will never be a moment without him. There is no B.C. Find out more at thejesusbible.com.
2: I might add one more thing. So I mentioned a minute ago that my first sermon was chapter one through three, six. And uh, one of the ways I went to Christ was as Christ as the righteous judge. I do think you can get there, too, as Christ being um, the true and faithful Israelite. So the warning, there's three warnings I see in chapter one through three is obey God, remember God and worship God. And I think all of us, when we hear passages like this, we intentionally assess ourselves and think, well, I haven't. Completely obeyed. I haven't always remembered the, the works of God. I haven't always perfectly worshipped. And and you can, that's when you just go right to Christ because thankfully there there is one who has, mm. he is the true and faithful Israelite. In him you can be forgiven and by his spirit you can fight and even pursue righteousness. He enables you to do what you cannot do. Um, mm. And so I think that's where, you know, you can also, you can not only point to Christ as the, the righteous judge, but also the faithful Israelite, and in that way, he encompasses the the totality of the passage. He's he's your only hope. Um, mm. So that that's that's sure. how I ended that that you know that first sermon. Right back to you
0: in that first sermon, Matt. Application. Um, so how do we make it Christ centered and clear?
2: Um, I, th- I think that part of it is just being honest with ourselves uh, when we're not completely obedient. Like, what are the ways that we are? Um, Negotiating our faithfulness, you know, I think as a people of God, we're faced with the daily choice between following God or even the spirit of the age, or finding ourselves somewhere in the middle, as aliens in a mm-hmm. foreign land and immersed in a particular culture, in a particular time. What is the spirit of this age? What is the powerful force that often pulls us towards its tides? We have to be honest with that. We have to examine that and figure out what does it look like to be faithful in this culture, mm-hmm. as really aliens in a foreign land, to be. Strictly obedient to the words of God, um, regardless of what it costs us. So I think that's one way to do it. And then you identify the ways you are, are failing or the ways that you are negotiating your faithfulness. Um, you repent and we call people to Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, in the easy overarching way. I don't know if you guys would add anything else to that.
0: Yeah. As far as application, Jeff, what, what, for your first two sermons, what were some of the main application points?
1: Well, if, in the chapter one, we're like the Israelites in that we don't wholeheartedly obey. And then you can think of whatever is the, the struggles that, that you have. Or, or what, what do you hear people say? Ah, I just don't know if I could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's forgive that person. Mm-hmm. And we're commanded mm-hmm. to forgive completely. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I could have them around for or, uh, giving sacrificially. Mm. uh you don't need to do that you know so it's these areas where they're being obedient but it's only half-hearted uh, uh, and you know we, we all feel in that way uh and that's why we need the, the you know the solution of 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 christ and and his grace for yeah. our half-hearted obedience uh, and we need to remember that grace to enable us to obey but yeah chapter one was really and there's going to be consequences if there's not Mm. wholehearted obedience now so chapter two application i really wanted to nail home we need to get to know god uh because of chapter two verse 10 the next generation grew up and they didn't know him personally or even know about the works of the lord then the rest of the chapter is going through the cycle but it's highlighting it's so god-centered god's anger god's Compassion, God's grace, uh, ultimately pointing uh, again to Christ, who is a, the true, real Joshua after Joshua's died. Uh, but we need to get to know him, who he truly is, as mm. revealed and uh, delight uh, and experience him in that way. So it was really, uh, as well as that we're prone to so many idolatrous acts like they were as well. So it was by knowing our idolatrous hearts. And knowing the true God of anger, love, compassion, and grace was where mm-hmm. I, I sure.
2: took it. So the, uh, let me follow up on that because I think there's a certain indictment there on us as well, you know. Because after Joshua's generation, you have this other generation that rises up and doesn't know the Lord, what the Lord has done for mm-hmm. Israel. So I think I think there's kind of a maybe a, a side application here that, that yeah. we have to teach the next generations the works of Absolutely. God. You know, because amnesia becomes apostasy, ignorance becomes ingratitude. Like they have to know who God is, and that, that's on us to pass it down to the next generation. I mean, the church is a community that, that passes on the faith one generation to the next. Um, so if they have no regard for God, it means that the other generation failed in um, this, this idea of, of teaching them to remember who God was. That's central in the formation um, of God's people. So that, that's one other application you can take.
0: This podcast is generously sponsored by The Pillar Network. The Pillar Network is a community of SBC and international Baptist churches that are doctrinally aligned, missionally driven, and committed to equipping, planting, and revitalizing churches together. If you're a pastor of an established church and you're desiring to lead your congregation to plant churches, but you're not sure how to get started, Pillar could be a great resource for you. Reach out to them today at thepillarnetwork.com. Thepillarnetwork.com. John, what about for you? First couple chapters application. Yeah.
3: I mean, I would just echo, I think transmission of the faith over generations is, is a key. Um, One that I, that I hit on. And so I, I talked a lot about, um, just how, what are ways that we, um, teach our kids that faith in the Lord and relationship with the Lord is, um, kind of an optional kind of a thing. And it's not, it's not as important as school. It's not as important as sports. It's not as important as other things. Mm -hmm. Um, and just talk about how disastrous this will be in a post-Christian culture because, uh, and, and, and I, and I tackled this quite a bit, you know, even with parents, like, it's not just, it's not just what you say. Um, it's not, it's not just, it's like they, your parent, your, your kids can see what you do. Like I remember, and I, I, I can't remember if I've told this story before, but um remember a guy as a deacon who was just really burdened about the fact that his children, his grown children were not in church anymore, and this guy was just kind of a no, had notably been at the center of running off the previous pastor and was highly critical of what the previous pastor did said, et cetera. And I just one time I had to, to look at him and say, you know your your children saw heard you come home from church." every week complaining about mm. something and they got the message. I mean that, you know, mm. it, that this is, this is not, why would I waste my time with this? And so just, it's not just what you do and what you say, but like they pick up on the small things like your criticisms and, and so forth. And so just, yeah, transmission of the faith. We've got to make sure mm. that we are as families and as churches, um, and, and, and unfortunately, like in, in younger churches like ours, uh, oftentimes that are getting away from programming for more organic ministry, you know, there, there's something being lost by children right now who, who are not being raised in sword drill, who are not being raised in um, Awanas or RAs or GAs, who are not being raised in a typical Sunday school that's walking through verses of the Bible versus life application um, there, there's something being lost, um, in mm. some of these places where if, 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 if it's left up to the families to be the only ones who do it, there are some families who do great at family worship and the other things, but then there are some who don't. And so we've got, we've got to make sure that we transmit the faith, um, to the next generation. So that, that was, that was a key one. I, I did tackle kind of, um, both of them mentioned, but this idea of remembering and that, that it's, you know, Second Peter one. It's remembering the gospel. It's remembering the cross that helps us to walk in holiness uh, and mm. maturity. And so I hit, I hit that um, as well. And then I did talk about idolatry in a couple of places, and just and just talk about idolatry in terms of we think, we think when we look at idolatry in the Old Testament that they they're they're worshiping these fertility gods, and they think if we don't do this, it's not going to rain, and we're not going to have our crops, and we think, man, don't they know that those are fake gods? This is the stupidest thing you know, you could ever do in your life. But like they had good reasons why they thought they needed to do that and why they were scared. And and we do the same thing. Like our idolatry is to fake gods that will ultimately let us down. And yet we convince ourselves that we've got to pursue money more than God. Or we've got to pursue success more than God. Or we've got to pursue relationships more than God. Um, and so just kinda it, hit some of that. Um, and then on the judgment thing, let me talk about judgment and repentance. I talked about those real quick. Judgment is kind of, in, in, in judges, it's kind of God handing them over to what they think they want. So they they mm-hmm. want to serve these foreign gods. And so he's like, okay, you can serve the foreign gods. Uh, and then you see how you see how it is. And that's often the way God does that judgment with us is that he just says, okay, that's what you think you want. So let me show you what it's like. Uh, And then we get into the situation, as Jeff mentioned, where, you know, was it true repentance? Was it not? But we often can play this game where when things are good, we forget God. And when things are bad, we're crying out, hey, God, help us. You know, hey, hey, we need you. We need you now. Um, And so trying to push back against that kind of mentality of repentance, seeing repentance as merely uh, being upset about the consequences of your actions and and Mm -hmm. instead being brokenhearted about the action itself and how it's broken the heart of God and how it's cheated on God. Um, And so I, so I um, dealt with that as well. And then obviously pointed to Christ as the one who can help us to be faithful, to be in in the world and not of the world.
0: It's good on the transmitting the faith. Jeff actually does a catechism for kids in the service on Sundays. Um, It's really, really well done. So would commend uh, Jeff. Hey, and he did a, he did a (laughs) Ted talk. Did a TED Talk at the Unite conference about about that. So,
1: Actually, yeah, as, and it's for the adults. <laughs> <that's> the, <laughs> the, uh, as yeah. we went through New City Catechism, yeah.
0: Mm, that's good. Any final thoughts on this first part of Judges? We'll hit Othniel next week. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.